Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of June 2nd. I'm DirtOnDirt.com staff writer Joshua Joyner coming at you with another round of the Dirt on Dirt editorial staff discussing all of the latest news, results, and notable topics of Dirt Late Model Racing. Of course, this week that includes a review of this year's first Crown Jewel event, of course, the Show Me 100 uh, at Lucas Oil Speedway. We're going to talk plenty about Hudson O'Neill's big win out there and other topics. But first, just let me remind you, this is a weekly feature here at Dirt on Dirt, appearing every Wednesday morning on the website and in your favorite podcast app if you subscribe to the DOD podcast feed. Getting started, uh, first, uh, welcome to the show. As usual, Robert Holman, our Dirt on Dirt weekend editor. Robert, it was a busy weekend, being Memorial Day and all, not just with what was going on out at the Show Me. Uh, were you able to keep up with everything? It was definitely a busy weekend, you know, Memorial Day, Labor Day, 4th of July, busiest weekends of the year. Unusually rainy this year, uh, so we had uh, a lot of stuff get uh, get rained out on Friday night, uh, which kind of, I guess, helped us get uh, get a little rested up for Saturday, because Saturday was busy, Sunday was busy as well, but we got it all all in there, and, uh, and I think that uh, if you haven't checked it out, go back and review those results, because there's, there's a lot of stuff packed in there. It's easy to uh, to miss things on a weekend like this past weekend, uh, results and, and everything coming in. There's so much going on, but uh, definitely a lot. Todd, how are you? Uh, Todd Turner, our uh, managing editor, how are you today? Good. I was the rainout editor on Friday, and I handled that with a plum, I thought. <laughs> yeah, it was plenty to, to, to post and get, get uh, the word out about, so good work on that. And then uh, dirtondirt.com uh, – Senior writer Kevin Kovac. Kevin, did you survive the weekend all right? Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it definitely didn't feel like Memorial Day weekend though. I'm. Uh, it, I mean, there was a lot of races, and not that, not in that uh, frame of mind. But uh, the weather forecast, uh, it wasn't looking good, and it held up. Um, I actually went to New Jersey to my mother's, and it was her birthday. We went there, and that's a worked out of her house this weekend, and uh, and it was. It, I don't think it got above 60 degrees all weekend. It was rainy and drizzly, and and, and I know out there at the show me, yeah, I saw people bundled up where you were at, Joshua. So it was. It, it didn't feel like the beginning of summer. Let me tell you that. I will 100% uh, agree with that. It did not feel like uh, Memorial Day weekend at all at the show me 100 at, at uh, Wheatland, Missouri this weekend. I was there, and I don't recall ever wearing a hoodie in late May, Memorial Day weekend, but I had not only had a hoodie on, but uh, I went prepared being a Floridian as, as I am. I took my uh, my base layer, my long johns, whatever you want to call them, had those on, my uh, my hoodie, and I was still still a little chilly when 2 a.m. rolled around in the uh, late model feature, second late model feature finished up. So, But I survived, uh, you know, didn't freeze out there at the 48 degrees or whatever it was at the, the coolest, but uh, it definitely was an interesting weekend out there. But enough about the weather. Let's talk a little bit about Hudson O'Neill. Obviously, uh, a big win for him and his uh, Double Down Motorsports team and uh, car owner Roger Sellers. A lot to talk about that and dissect with that. Kevin, I'll start with you. Think about Hudson O'Neill winning that race. What's the first thing kind of comes to mind and, and what it means for him uh, in his career? I, uh, it's kind of uh, Hudson O'Neill coming of age almost uh, there. He just, uh, it was his breakthrough. I mean, he's had other wins, obviously. I mean, it was his 10th Lucas Oil win. Uh, he's been running around here now, what, five years with a super late model, it, it seems like. And he seems like he should be almost 30 the way how, how much he, how long he's been around so far. But uh, he had some tough times the last couple of years. It was the, just as he, he just had won the Jackson 100, the biggest win of his career a couple of years ago. And then next thing you know, uh, he's he's broken up with his the only late model team he'd ever been with, SSI Motorsports. And 
then he hopped around last year. You know, he went to the, the Masters Buildhouse car and that didn't it never really clicked there. And he's done with that at the show me. I was the show me 100, uh, which was was rescheduled that year, uh, you know, last year until uh, in July. And, and that was the end of that deal after that race. They, they left and went home and never raced again together. And then he got with his uh, his girlfriend's uh, father, new team, Craig Sims of PCC Motorsports last year. And it got him back on the map, got him going again, got another win. And now, uh, what a perfect team it almost seems like. I mean, it seems like uh, I seen from Hudson back in in, uh, February, I mean, or in January, actually, during when he won that race, uh, the Lucas Oil race at uh, Winter Nationals at East Bay. You could could see there was a a little maturity there with him. He had come around and and something had happened there where he had realized uh, that how what you have to do to become a full-time race car driver i think like that that maturity was definitely there he had a different mindset and now you know he's he's kind of relocated mostly down to east tennessee to to work on that car all the time and and there's just he, he seems more serious about it but that's part of the process of coming of age i guess you start to you know learn more about what you have to do and how serious you got to take things and and if he's going to pay his bills he has to win races and man he's got a great team there with uh with uh, Double Down Motorsports, Roger Sellers is a great car owner. You could see that Roger just loves racing. He loves being there at the racetrack, and and, and he loves Hudson. I think uh, you know you could see it. There there's a there's a special bond there. I think this could be a team that goes a long, long time now uh, with uh, Hudson's youth and Roger's uh, just love of of the racing world here, the racing game. Yeah, definitely. I, I talking to uh, Hudson after the race, you could uh, un, you know see and hear his uh, appreciation for the moment for where he is right now and i think uh, he even mentioned a lot about the maturity and how much he had matured from you know the kind of bouncing around that he went through and the ride situation and i think uh, there's a lot of appreciation on his part there um appreciating the moment appreciating the opportunity that he has one thing you also mentioned kevin was the significance of the show me because that kind of being last year where the master built house car ride kind of kind of fell through so it's significant i think for him to get a really big win at the show me this year but also another significance of the show me is that it's a uh he becomes the him and his father don o'neill become the first father-son duo winners of that race uh todd i I know you covered don a lot throughout his career uh kind of some perspective on that and thoughts of seeing uh, now don o'neill and now hudson o'neill both winners of the show me 100 yeah I, i remember uh uh, one of the first show me's I went to at West Plains, Don ran, I think, third or fourth and was really in the mix. Uh, and that was his really first really good season. Um, some of my show me memories included a lot of O'Neills. And now, yeah, it's kind of come full circle with Hudson here. And, and I agree with what Kevin said about Hudson's maturity. I mean, his, his career has seen you know, lots of twists and turns in such a short amount of time you know he sat out part of that season with injuries had different teams you know had things that go not so well had things go well but what i think hudson was always had some maturity though i remember the first time interviewing him very he very much had it together like what to say and like in in his perspective he he saw things and uh, which I would contrast his dad, you know, Don is a great guy and me and him go way back. But I remember first interviewing Don, he he was one of those that didn't always kind of get your questions or whatever. And sometimes he, he would have a very <laughs> short answer and then just, and you would find him just looking at you waiting for the next question. And I'm like, I don't have another question. 
But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Hudson's very good, and 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 he's real and genuine and emotional, as we saw in Victory Lane. I mean, I think he, um, you know, he he sees the big picture and sees things that for at a young age much more than I think I, you know, I was. I mean, I, I look at him as a much more mature. A twenty-year-old than I was, but uh, but yeah, it's neat for the the O'Neills. That's uh, those Indiana guys. It's funny. I've always done kind of well at West Plains. You know, those those Brownstown guys always went down there. Uh, and to see uh, have another Indiana winner now at uh, Wheatland, that's cool for Hudson. Yeah, definitely. And do we who who covered it? Any of us cover the twenty-four when Don O'Neill's win in twenty fourteen? Kovac, were you were there? Did you notice yeah. Uh, yeah. anyone missing from from that victory lane? Yeah, yeah, I totally year. remember. That was my that was my first show me covering for. That was my first show me ever. It was first one for Dirt on Dirt, obviously. Then, and, and I I totally remember after the race uh, talking to Don and and he was he had just I think he had just gotten off the phone or was going to call up and, and and he had told me that he he wanted to know what happened with Hudson because he was back in at Brownstown running a crate car making his debut. So it, I mean I could clearly remember that uh, happening kind of came to me again there after uh, Hudson wins and and uh, when you did your interview with him uh, uh, Joshua and there was no no Don there I mean I didn't see him in any of the victory lanes or anything so obviously he wasn't there and and then you said he had shoulder uh, shoulder surgery and it, that was kind of ironic there that both of them win and the other one wasn't there when they won but I feel like it almost comes full circle there when a uh, little symmetry there the way it happened you know and especially the, being being the first uh, crown jewel too for uh for Hudson, it comes at the track where his father won one. Where and his father at in 2014 was how old? What 50? I mean, almost 50 years old, I think, when he won his first first show me. So I mean, Hudson has a big head start on that on uh, on Don. Yeah, he he definitely has time to uh, perhaps get a few more show me's, uh, and which would be appropriate. So maybe Don can make it out to uh, to the victory lane celebration, and then if if uh, Hudson can win it again, or if Don maybe can win it again, uh, they can celebrate in victory lane together. But it did seem appropriate, uh, unfortunately, but but fittingly uh, appropriate that it to work out that way where uh, Don wasn't there either. But um, uh, we obviously wish speedy recovery to uh, Don O'Neill with his after his shoulder recovery. Uh, Robert, thoughts on uh, Hudson O'Neill's big win there. What do you think? Well, I just think it's interesting that Kevin uh, said that Hudson has a big head start on Don now, you know, because if you look at, at these guys that are second generation drivers, they all kind of have a, a head start on their dads. You look at Hudson and, and Bobby and Tanner English, uh, Devin Moran, even guys like Josh Richards and, and, and Tim McCready going, going if you want to get into some older guys, and, and Shane Clanton. All these guys that are second-generation drivers, uh, for starters, I, you've got to say that these guys who have famous fathers – are under a ton of pressure. You know, they're they're under pressure to to get out there and perform. All these guys, they're following very successful fathers. And as fans, sure they get a lot of fans because of that, but man, there's a ton of pressure on these these kids to go out and perform. And so when they don't, it's like, well, he's not as good as his dad. You know, I just feel like that that these these kids now they do have a head start because even if they don't get a ton of money from their, their parents, or even if they, whatever it is, they're getting knowledge. Uh, there's just something about having a dad that races and being, being hanging around a shop and whether you're pushing a broom or, or whether you we've got pictures, you know, of Bobby, you know, playing in the dirt. I've got a picture of Bobby playing in the dirt at, um, at Clarksville, uh, in, in 2001, I think, uh, his dad, I think won a summer nationals race there and, and I was there and, and, 
you know, Billy Moyer Jr., uh, you know, let's not leave him off the list for sure. Uh, you know, guys like that. So they, they do, whether or not they have a huge head start, they do have a head start on people who are starting from scratch because when you're hanging around it your whole life and when you're in a shop or you're, you're on the road, you pick up things that other people don't have the privilege of, of picking up. And so, so they, these kids do kind of have a head start and, uh, and I'm not taking anything away from them because it's really, it's really awesome. And I, and I'm so thankful that these guys are in, you know, I just named about eight or nine guys. What if those kids weren't in our sport right now? You know, the whole landscape would be different. So I'm definitely not taking anything away from them. Kudos to, to Hudson for knocking this off when he's 20 years old and for showing the maturity and the raw emotion and, and being able to let that happen in victory lane was really special. So. So it was really a special moment at West Plains this weekend for sure. Yeah, definitely some uh, interesting uh, things you bring up there. The I like the the idea of uh, these second generation drivers. You know, are they better than their fathers? You know, maybe that's another topic. And, and for I know I said day. and I also West Plains, Todd. I, I know I said West Plains, but uh, <laughs> it, it was probably a special <laughs> okay. moment. At, I, it was probably a special moment at West Plains too. I'm not sure about that though. If the uh, cash money, <laughs> if anybody cried in the cash money uh, series victory lane or not, I have no idea. But. <laughs> but it was a special moment at Wheatland, uh, for sure. So let me, I don't want to make any of the, the Lucas people mad at me. So anyway. Sorry, I didn't catch that to, to correct you there. So glad you, you corrected yourself. But but yeah, like I said, maybe another uh, time we can have a debate on if any of these standout second generation drivers have surpassed perhaps their fathers and who will go on to or something. That's uh, an interesting <laughs> dynamic there. Uh, Kevin? I just want to point and bring up one other thing and ask all you guys actually this, uh, the difference in maybe personalities or emotions of, of Hudson O'Neill and Don O'Neill. I mean, I, I would think I've always seen Don O'Neill as this man, this gruff, rough, tough, you know, old school racer, you know, where man, he's just, I mean, he's kind of stocky, ready to just like pound somebody i mean and he has in the past i think he has uh he's gotten into some uh, incidents at the racetracks and over the years and, and it's almost like I, I i've seen him after races where i'm like i don't even want to go near that guy because i mean he's he's just stalking you can just see the anger in him um so I'm, i i don't see him being a guy that's gonna you know have tears coming out of his eyes and victory lane quite like hudson did so i mean i just i always just seen hudson and don being so different in that regard it's obviously he's 30 years difference here now you know i mean it's 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 a it's a different era and stuff and and hudson is you know more more of the clean cut you know driver and and speaks well like todd even mentioned and right off the bat it just i just caught that as I, that was kind of another thought I was going through my mind. Like this is definitely a different reaction than Don O'Neill would have in, in victory lane or anything. Really? I'm not sure they could be more polar extremes than, than they are. So it's funny to think that, the, that their father and son uh, completely uh, have the same skill behind the wheel, but a, but a little bit different approach when it comes to uh, the, the PR part of it, I guess, or, or being able you know, talking to the media or in victory lane. Uh, yeah. Don's probably most emotional victory lane, I think was maybe the dream when, when the Masterville house car, when they won that, that, that was probably the most, he, I felt like he was completely shed that, you know, that image of like kind of the gruff guy who, you know, made a few words in a way. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, there's plenty of time I'm with Kevin when you might uh, see him in the pits and walk the other way, you know, if you, if you, if you didn't really need a quote from him. 
I, I think it's, it's interesting because as I was uh, interviewing Hudson uh, after the race, I thought about Don O'Neill and I found it interesting. I'm looking at him and he looks at, in the face and the way he talks and kind of the mannerisms in the face. He looks like Don and it's like you're, you're looking at him, but he is talking so much more than uh, Don O'Neill ever talked to me whenever I interviewed him and very more, I guess what you call insightful. I felt like, um, you know, and, and having more like he just talked and, and had a lot. Uh, he told me stories from his first few trips out to, to Wheatland uh, were very interesting. And I was like, I don't feel like I ever would have had a conversation like this with Don O'Neill. Not that he's not a um, uh, doesn't have that to share. He's just not that kind of person that out, you know, outgoing personality like we talked about. Definitely some interesting perspective uh, there on the O'Neills and, and, and all. And I think one thing that uh, the show me, we, we've talked a lot about it being the first traditional crown jewel of the season. Uh, obviously with this Memorial day weekend, it kind of kicks off. I don't know if you call it crown jewel season or, or what, but it kind of leads into obviously the dream Eldora and then the rest of them down the road. There's been some debate along the, along the way about what actually makes a crown jewel. And I think everyone's on the same page and saying the show me is a crown, crown jewel, but I figure we could have a chance to kind of, Talk about that. Uh, maybe debate what is the the, the dirt late model crown jewel events. Uh, Todd, would you agree when we say the show me is is definitely on that list? Yeah, I think so. And I'm, the crown jewel argument can be. I, I don't think there's a definitive list, and maybe from one person to the other. And and I don't re- really get too uptight about it. Now, if somebody throws something as a crown jewel when it's clearly not, I might you know get a little ruffled by that. But you know. It's it's hard to tell. I felt like when Dirt on Dirt started about 12 years ago, uh, or you know a dozen or more years ago in the early Dirt on Dirt era, it was a little. It was kind of settled. It was it was a little more clear. And I don't know if I can reel them all off here and say them, but but the Dreamer World 100, obviously the Show Me, the Topless, uh, the USA Nationals, um, Dirt Track World Championship. And that may be the list back then. And now, you know, it's mixed up. There's lots of more big money races. Uh, but but for my money, the crown jewel is a mixture of longevity, history, um, you know, the, the purse, um, you know, partly where it's at or, or does it stay in the same place, that kind of thing. There's a mixture of all that stuff, you know. And I think, for instance, the firecracker kind of trends on that line. To me, the Silver Dollar Nationals has kind of injected itself as a crown jewel, uh, new and fresh to the club for sure. But, you know, with it all, you know, and it had a nice steady growth, you know. Uh, It didn't just come in and say, hey, I'm a big race and I'm a crown jewel. Uh, Because you want a race to have a couple of years under its belt. Uh, On the other hand, then you have some races that went away. Probably in the 90s, the Pittsburgher was, if not a crown jewel, right there. And it kind of fell off. Uh, the Have a Tampa shootout or Dixie shootout, which is still, I guess, what they call the Lucas Oil visit to Dixie. But now it's just a regular race, you know. But that was a huge race back in the late 90s, early 2000s. They had some bonus money and people were leaving there with, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for stuff. So, again, I don't get too upset, you know, because I think old times was like, oh, the Hillbilly 100 is a crown jewel. And I'm not going to argue with that, but but there were certainly some lean years when the hillbilly 100 was just a stars race and not that big of a deal uh but that there is some debate about that all all that is is good and and it's healthy and if uh tracks and races want to achieve crown jewel status more power to them because that means more money 
more organization, more history, and more commitment to to having a long running event. And the interesting thing I picked out of that, uh, what you mentioned was the you mentioned talking about what were the crown jewels when Dirt on Dirt was started, and the I eighty the Silver Island Nationals wasn't even a thing then, and all of a sudden now it's kind of kind of getting to that point where it's you know people are kind of is it you know and talking about it, and there are other events as well. The Prairie Dirt Classic to me is one that kind of fits that bill. It's obviously been around a while, but as it's grown, it's kind of getting on that that fringe where some people may consider it you know, getting to that point. Um, and as it, you know, those, both those events are ones that I think, uh, as they continue on and, you know, into the future could be too, that kind of get to that level. And of course there are others as well, but I think I'm with you, Todd, my, um, a little more traditional for which one's actually considered crown jewels currently based on their history and prestige. Uh, obviously the Eldora races, the Royal and the dream. I would throw, I think, I don't know if you mentioned the North South, but I would include it okay. uh, in that, there as well. I figured you weren't, you just, you know, being your home state and all, you weren't leaving it off on purpose. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I would agree the rest of the way. Uh, Robert, what do you think? What's the, any, any others or disagree agreements there with what we've mentioned so far? You know, no, I, I don't disagree. Uh, I just, I think that uh, Crown Jewel is a subjective thing for starters but i think that uh there are a, f a few races that aren't subjective uh, these are crown jewels obviously like you know the dirt track world championship and and the the world and the dream but it's a it's a matter of how much it pays it's a matter of of how long it's been around uh you know the prestige uh the car counts you know i mean count, crown jewels don't draw 20 cars if it's a real crown jewel that's not something we have to worry about it might not bother Todd, but it crawls on my skin when I'm listening to an announcer refer to a race as a crown jewel when it is clearly not. It's a $10,000 to win race and they call it a crown jewel. No, I'm sorry. That's a race that you could go to every single weekend from Jan 1 to December 31st. Now, I think in the South, uh, you know, there aren't very many crown jewels in the South if you look at it. Uh, I think that they have really missed the boat and missed the opportunity to have some crown jewels. Uh, definitely, uh, like Todd mentioned, the Dixie Shootout uh, had that continued to pay, say, thirty, forty thousand dollars, and and draw forty to sixty cars uh, every year. Definitely, I think that that it's a, a crown jewel status with its longevity. Uh, but the big one that stands out to me in the South that's really missed the boat in terms of of being able to be a true crown jewel is East Alabama's National 100. Uh, that race has been going on for a long time. That's a really great facility down there, but the, the race just hasn't in the recent years, in the last decade, it hasn't taken the next step. Uh, I thought it was going to, I think what it was like $20,000, $30,000 one year. I can't remember exactly. I'd have to look it up, but I thought it was going to be there, um, but it just hasn't taken the next step. In fact, it's gone backwards, but that really, I think has one of our best um, chances to have a crown, a true crown jewel in the South. And I think that uh, the second one maybe would, would have been the, uh, the Magnolia 100. Um, that could have been a true crown jewel. If, if we'd ever get that to like around 30 K and just have one weekend and just have it at Magnolia. But, but even as long as the Magnolia 100 has been going on, I think that uh, because of the way, purses are and stuff uh, I think that even you would even have to have another eight to nine seven to eight years I guess of 
of it established as a twenty-five or thirty thousand dollar twin race to even even get that into crown jewel argument. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll agree. As someone from the south, I would love to see a uh, one of the uh, events down here uh, kind of rejuvenate and get back to that kind of crown jewel status, or at least close to it. Or perhaps another event could come in and and uh, get to that status. But it would be nice to have one down here. Uh, Kevin, what do you got? What do you think? Uh, any other thoughts on uh, crown jewels? Any that we're missing that we haven't mentioned yet, or uh, any anything you think we're just crazy to even bring up on the list? What you got? Yeah, no, your 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 uh, comments. I'm on the south, and Roberts too about the. I, mean, I remember the Dixie Shootout. Like before, I was really covering late model racing. I thought, I mean, that that's I've always heard about that one. That was a huge race. Uh, and, and again, now it's just a regular Lucas race and, in the national 100, I don't know like what it was like way back, you know, I guess when it was bigger, you know, than, than it is now, but I can't imagine that there were this many divisions running there either. Like they have now. I mean, it's just, a, a, I mean, so many just late model divisions. I mean, there's a million divisions there and, and that's one criteria, which I say right now, you're off the crown jewel list there's you can there's no discussion about it if you have uh, multiple million divisions at it that's well i'm not even going to consider you okay because <laughs> you can have like two or be, three right, right? yeah like like, one, i mean usa right? okay right right usa nationals <laughs> has the has their regular late models you know um uh, you know mostly i mean but you look at the crown jewels most i mean almost all of them have nothing else other than maybe they'll have a modified race or stuff they're not they're not having street stocks they're not having five other late model divisions not having crates they're not have they're just not having that it, it just dilutes the whole show out of like your energy of how much you get into that main thing which is well, the bristol dirt nationals is an example this maybe this year fifty thousand dollars to win hey that crown that, that that's crown jewel territory right there right but not when it's just shoehorned in amongst all these other divisions it's just i can't build my excitement level up for that big race when it's and it's amongst everything else one of the races that just came out a few years ago it's not out there anymore but was the dirt million uh, at mansfield now i could get behind that as being a almost immediate crown jewel because it it definitely got great fields It, it was paying more money than anything and it was at a first first class place. Uh, now, if that could have kept going, it, it, it I w- you know definitely would have become one of the annual crown jewels. But I, I remember talking that people talking about it right when it started. Hey, that's a crown jewel already, and and I could consider it that just because there was no other division with it or anything like that. It, that was immediate, but. Uh, I also consider crown jewels to be like those races like that you guys have mentioned that keep growing. I mean, they have the history, obviously, but they also keep growing. Uh, uh, Todd pointed out the firecracker 100 that came out, right? It came out of the gate in 2007, really good. It was a new race for Lernerville and, a, and a, the biggest race ever in the state of Pennsylvania for late models. And then the next year it went from 30,000 the first year and went to $40,000 the second year. And you're like, man, this race is going to just keep going bigger and bigger. And then it went back to 30 and it just stayed at that level. I mean, it has become a three day event. Uh, but it's still, and it's also been killed by weather every year. It seems like for to keep people from going, but it's like one of those races that people can not go to if if it's looking the bat weather's looking bad. So I can't really put it up right totally in that crown jewel territory uh, uh, as opposed to I eighty where I eighty it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. They keep you know the uh, Joe Kosiski 
just keeps making that race, adding something, whether it's the purse, the, the start money, uh, the first place payoff, uh, you know, and now this year it's five nights with that, with that other, uh, with the I-80 Nationals uh, involved starting the week off. So, I mean, there's just something about that race where you could say, man, that, it just keeps growing. And, and I think that's a big part of, uh, of, um, of crown jewel status. If, if, if things are going to keep growing and bigger and bigger. I think we should uh, we could uh, maybe in another episode come up with a guide to uh, building and developing a crown jewel race. And I think I think number one would be mm-hmm. no more than one, maybe two, probably no more than one support division. I think is what we would probably all agree on that. So I think there's some pretty good uh, events on the list. I, I one thing I didn't I don't think any of us mentioned was the world finals at Charlotte, which maybe not a crown jewel, but I think is uh, even though it's not one big event, with it being a double header, is I think. A lot of drivers, because of the prestige of the dirt track at Charlotte, kind of put that emphasis on it whenever they win it. It seems like a, a big win, or at least yeah. has. And that total number of people at that place, too. I mean, it's just like how many other it's it's one of the top attended races in dirt track uh, racing every year, and which yep. makes it it, all, it immediately gives you that big feel of a, of a big race. That's at least one uh, big big event down here in the South. Maybe not the deep South, but the the South we can claim. And and I'll add that we have Speed Weeks as well down here in Florida. Uh, it might be not be a crown jewel, but it's certainly significant. Uh, you know, so can't hate too much on on the South down here in our our events. But uh, all right, sounds good. I think it's a very interesting discussion on the crown jewels. Maybe as we get into more of them uh, in the weeks that they come up, we can talk about if that certain one qualifies uh, as a crown jewel. We'll we'll keep that in mind. Uh, before we start wrapping up, let's look ahead to uh, events coming up this week. Uh, got not quite as busy, obviously, as the M- Memorial Day, kind of a, an interesting week here between Memorial Day and the Show Me and uh, into the, the Dream at Eldora. Of course, this year it's the Double Dreams, and I think that may play a factor in who decides to go where uh, racing this weekend as they maybe step back, take some uh, some time off to get ready for uh, Eldora, a busy week at Eldora next week. So, uh, But let's go ahead and look at a few of the re- races coming up. Uh, Kevin, what's uh, one you got your eye on this week? Well, I'm heading out to West Virginia Motor Speedway this weekend uh, for the historic 100, what, 10,000 to win on Friday night, 25,000 to win Saturday, and, and another 5,000 if the guy who, the, the driver who wins has a throwback scheme on it. There's a little bonus there if, uh, if, you, if you run with a throwback wrap on your car. Uh, I haven't been to West Virginia Motor since 2013. I was like, the, it was an outlaw race there that year. Like last year it ran, and that was a, a little bit smaller track when they brought turns three and four in. So it's even longer since I've seen the big, real big track. Uh, that's that's one of the first tracks I went to when I started full time at Area Auto Racing News back in I think 96 or or actually 97 it would have been. Uh, uh, and I started branching out and doing a little bit more late model racing and covering some. And I went to West Virginia Motor for a stars race and it was a doubleheader. I think it was a Cumberland the week before, week before, the day before. Is that right? The Todd, did you maybe go to those two or you probably were there, right? I, I think, I think I did. I think I did. It was early, <laughs> early season. I, yeah, it was yeah, early season. 97. Cold. I'm almost positive. It was cold. Yes. I think Donnie Moran Did might y'all have won. There? I remember yeah. <laughs> Moran won at West Virginia Motor and Saver yes. won at Cumberland. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because Cumberland was like, man, I remember going to there and, and like oh, that big, big, you know, the big mountain and off the backstretch was so cool. And and then my well, my wife wasn't the wife then yet. She was. Uh, you know, I was. I was taking her out. Lori was starting to go to some races. She came with me that weekend. I remember. And uh, we stopped. Even stopped at. 
uh, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but we even stopped at Rocket Chassis. I remember on the way over to West Virginia Motor, saw I uh, just because I wanted to look at I-79 Speedway, and I remember, uh, you know, it was Rod R.J. Conley. I think they came down. They came right when we drove up. They come driving down the hill from Rocket Chassis to go take some, uh, you know, laps around uh, around I-79 I before heading to West Virginia. So, all right, but that's a that's another story there, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just I'm kind of looking forward to going over to West Virginia Motor and, and seeing that big track. Uh, uh, they had such a great crowd for that race back in April when they reopened. So. Hopefully this weekend, and, and that was without, like Cody Watson, the promoter there, said that that huge crowd back in April was, I think there was like four or five campers there. So I would imagine there'll be a few more there this weekend, and that could even add to the whole atmosphere at at, uh, at West Virginia. And hopefully, uh, I mean, I'm not expecting a big field of cars. I mean, I never, I'm never going to figure that will have a million cars at, uh, at West Virginia just because of the size, but Hopefully they get in the 30 range and and uh, have some good racing this weekend and a good crowd and uh, well it'll be a it'll be a fun weekend to see. That one definitely has the feel of more of a big weekend event as opposed to the first race where it was just kind of a uh, run in there. I think it was on a Sunday um, and they like I said they had a really good turnout so I imagine it'll be a big crowd for the uh, the whole weekend of racing. Robert, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Well, it's definitely a lighter weekend that's for sure. So I'm kind of looking forward to that I guess. But uh, uh, you know we still have. I think 10 races that pay $5,000 or better this weekend, uh, you know, on our dirt on dirt schedule. So it's still, still pretty, pretty healthy. Uh, I'm going to, I'm not going anywhere, but I'm going to have my eye, uh, as I mentioned it in our fast talk this week, I'm going to have my, my eye on the camp comms. I mean the, the comp camp stuff, uh, over there in Arkansas, they got two races in Arkansas this weekend. One of them, I think Friday night pays, uh, 3000 over at old number one speedway in Harrisburg. And the, uh, the second night at I-30 in Little Rock pays uh, 5000 So I'm going to be watching those races to see if, uh, if, if Brian Rickman can, can back up his early season success. He has had uh, um, a heck of a start to the year, jumping out to the, the – well, he didn't really jump out to the points lead in the, the comp cams deal, but he uh, has – crept his way up through there and he is now the the points leader in, in the comp cams uh stuff so definitely interested to see if he can go over there and back up that success that he had uh um i think he finished fifth in one of those races then he had a 15th place finish so i'm looking to see if he can do a little bit better than that and back up his his points lead you know the rickmans are are really good guys from down there in, in mississippi and you know they've been stalwarts down there in that mississippi area for years and years uh, in the columbus area and so now they're branching out a little bit uh even in, as they've gotten a bit older here and when i say older you know i'm talking you know 40s uh these aren't young kids so to see them branch out and uh and tackle some some new things and to have success is pretty cool I'll mention the MLRA triple header this weekend coming up uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday uh, at Mississippi Thunder on Friday and Deer Creek on Saturday. And uh, Thursdays, I know I'm going to butcher this, Makukketa Speedway. Anyone know how to pronounce that? Makukketa. <laughs> Mc- <laughs> okay, I'll take that. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. But anyway, it'll be interesting Maybe. to see how some of those 
maybe you know, I'm not sure. It'll be interesting to see how those MLRA guys, after uh, you know a big weekend at the show me and a lot of pressure on them uh, with the Lucas Oil guys coming in there and running with them, and of course everyone else that comes out there for that event to go back to uh, regular series racing uh, there in those three races and always Deer Creek. That's one of my uh, in, uh, in Minnesota. There's one of my favorite tracks. Um, so interesting to watch and see how that one plays out. Todd, what are you uh, what are you looking forward to this weekend? That's a big week for the Lissota Challenge guys. They have uh, seems like they kind of have spurts of races on their schedule, and this one coming up has four days in a row at uh, uh, two at uh, Huron, South Dakota, uh, one at Brown County, and one at Casino, including the Saturday night race at Dakota State Fair with with which Orville Chenoweth, you know, he used to run that track as a regular weekly track and now he just uh kind of pops in every once in a while to host these big races and that one's paying ten thousand to win which is a lot of money for those guys uh but that's neat uh those four four nights in a row shows up there good deal all right so we'll uh before we go we'll do what we do every week what i like to call one more thing where we each kind of talk about one thing that stood out to us from the previous week whether it's a result news item whatever it may be uh, and let's see, I'll let, uh, I'll let Robert go first on this one. I don't think Robert's going first uh, on any answers this week. So Robert, what you got? You know, I thought that, uh, something that came across our, the, the news desk, uh, so to speak was the, uh, uh, Oglethorpe Speedway park down there in Savannah, uh, closing after 70 years. That's uh, a, I, I hate to see any racetrack close anywhere. Um, I've been there to Oglethorpe a couple of times, uh, back years ago when i was uh covering racing for for national dirt digest i love the area over there near savannah but it's another one of these tracks that have been uh, apparently you know uh, that are have succumbed to as they they say in kind of their press release that the urban growth one of the things that people don't realize when racetracks close i'm going to throw this out there is, is that a lot of people just put their cars on jack stands because a lot of people will not go anywhere else and race and so when racetracks close, a lot of people just were like, okay, I'm done. My home racetrack's closed. I'm not racing anymore. So it actually affects people in, in different ways. And so anytime a racetrack closes, you have to look at all the, all the, uh, the ins and outs of, of how it affects and how it affects people. And, and, uh, and so, and take into account that. That's unfortunate news for sure. Uh, Kevin, what you got? Uh, I guess last week, if uh, you might have noticed that uh, Spencer Hughes was hired to run the Double Dreams for uh, PCC Motorsports at Craig Sims, uh, who split up with Kyle Strickler a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, it's not he didn't Craig Sims didn't say that he's going to run regularly or anything the rest of the year, but he does want to run some, uh, you know, some crown jewels and maybe come back next year and run full time. And maybe Spencer Hughes is a possibility. He's, nothing after this uh, this dream weekend. But remember that last year, Spencer went and went to the Intercontinental there at, at, at Eldora and qualified all three nights. Uh, uh, pretty impressive for his first time there. So uh, uh, he's in what is a pretty kind of interesting, I thought, like with this, like for drivers don't they should always be on their best behavior and always working hard, I guess, and putting out a good image in public, I guess, because Craig Sims, uh, owner of PCC Motorsports, he was running the Intercontinental last year uh, with uh, Hudson O'Neill when when Hudson was, I uh, was like the second month, I think, that they were racing together. And the whole time, Spencer Hughes was parked, he said, was uh, Craig had said Spencer Hughes was parked right next to him. And he said he watched that kid and he was, not, you know, just 
I think he was 19 at that point, just working his butt off all weekend long. And you, he could see there was a good work ethic there. And he was impressed just by how much he was involved with the race car and, and, and the little bit that he talked, you know, I mean, obviously being neighbors in the pits, they talked a little bit and, and so when he needed a driver this year, he thought back and said, man, you know, that kid that I saw at Eldora was uh, he did a pretty good job and he qualified for all the races on top of uh, working hard. So uh, I, I think he made an impression and I guess you, you can never know. Drivers can never know who they're who they're coming across in the pits that might be a possible uh, owner or something or sponsor later later in the years uh, down the road. So. I think Spencer did that, and maybe he'll impress him again here at the Dream, the Double Dreams. We'll we'll see what happens. That's right. Got to always put your uh, best foot forward there, and and uh, make yourself look uh, like you could represent someone positively. Uh, good point there, Kovac. Uh, what you got, Todd? Okay, so now I have my track pronunciation question. So Husits, Husits, Kevin. I think they say Husits, isn't it? Isn't it Husits? Okay, I, I, I believe. That's right. uh, yeah, no, that's a sprint car place, though. So, right. <laughs> Yeah, if I said the wrong thing, the sprint car email would just be flowing in, and I, I didn't right. know if I could take that. But but the race they had mm-hmm. last night, uh, Tad Pospisil won. $8,000 race, uh, 6000 for the first, 2000 for lap money. But but what's most interesting about it, it drew 41 cars, I guess, uh, and it was a mixture, a nice mixture of Wasoda guys, uh, the Tri-State guys. Tri-State actually sanctioned it. Uh, and then the the Malvern Brank slash Hoker trucking style cars, all those coming to this one track uh, to race, uh, and even some uh, kind of old time IMCA guys thrown in there. And Todd Cooney from Iowa was there, and it really kind of uh, first off, it was cool to see all those guys racing together. It was a great race. I love that track, and I think it it, it may uh, open some eyes for somebody to think, hey, this this kind of uh, limited late model style. Uh, limited engine where you can kind of run with multiple engine combinations uh you know you could it, it has some growth here maybe where you could put something together and because this is an impressive field a good bunch of racers uh, uh and you can't do it everywhere and, and clearly some of these guys had to drive a long way Cal Burke said he thought he was in Canada when he got there so um you know you, you can't uh, you can't just do it everywhere uh, but it's interesting that the, that it did so well there, obviously because of the big money on the line. But uh, but I'd like uh, I'll keep an eye on uh, see if uh, that doesn't grow up and those those uh, racers from those different areas can blend together uh, in some other events. You bring up a good point. I'm pretty sure if you take away the show me, that was if not the highest car count, 41 cars, uh, I believe it was uh, of the weekend. If if not the highest, besides the show me, one of the highest. Uh, unfortunately, noticed a, a lot of car counts down in in the 20s and not a whole lot of B mains uh, this past weekend. Robert, Todd, I have uh, no idea how to pronounce it, but it's one of the best uh, tracks ever on that uh, video game, like. For, for PS2 or whatever it was back in the day, that 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 track is awesome to race on on the video game. So, uh, yeah, so no wonder they had so many it. cars up there, right? Uh, everybody was like, "Oh, I want to go" because I've been playing it on a video game, right? Yeah, a couple of those Wasota guys they interviewed him. So yeah, we've been we've been driving this track since we were little kids. We just never been here. So yeah, it's oh, it, it's great. It's it's excellent track to race on on the video game for sure. On the PS2, that's uh, that's a throwback. I have not, uh, <laughs> I've not upgraded from the from my son won't let me play the PS4. So, well, I'm still I still have a PS3, so I'm behind as well. But uh, I, I'll finish up by uh, my one more thing. Uh, I'll give a shout out to my brother Joseph Joiner. He uh, 
one uh, $10,000 uh, Harvey Jones Memorial at Alltech Raceway. Slow clap. There you go. Uh, and the reason I, I'll mention, obviously, it's a big win for him and our family, but also he had his daughter, barely a month old, uh, Andy. Got to go to Victory Lane with him and uh, his wife, uh, Andy's mom, Kayla, uh, my sister-in-law. So it was a special moment. Alltech is only a little over an hour from my house here near Jacksonville. Uh, so they got to go, my wife and kids. And uh, so I was the only family member not there. But, you know, other than that, it was a good family moment. So anyway, hopefully uh, in the future he can get a win of the rest of the family there and I get to be there as well. Uh, other than that, I think that's going to do it for this week's edition of the podcast. We appreciate everyone hanging in there and listening to us. And uh, we'll be back to discuss it all. And, of course, uh, Eldor preview next week. Uh, big episode next week. Uh, next Wednesday will be in your podcast feed. Y'all have a great week. Thank you.